So uh, often we live in a life and culture in which we're driven by the big, we're driven by the latest, we're driven by the greatest, and so often because of that, we can miss the small, seemingly insignificant things in life that can actually have a dramatic impact. We can miss a precious comment made by a child. I don't know if you know, uh, like anyone who's a uh, father or mother here, it's so easy to miss a, a little comment or a little glance from a child and you can miss a very special moment. Maybe you miss a glint of sadness in someone's eyes and you just miss out on seeing that glint of sadness and you lose out the opportunity of encouragement. Maybe in this nation that we live in, because of the busyness of the fast pace, you miss out on a business opportunity that could be mind-blowing because you don't take the time to look a little closer. Now there was a man, many of you may not know this man, his name is George Washington Carver, and he was a man who looked a little bit closer. He was born into slavery in the USA in 1864. He went on to become a botanist and one of the most prominent scientists in that time. He was the man responsible for developing almost a hundred uses for the peanut. Now you may not think that that sounds very impressive, but at the time that he grew up, cotton was the only crop grown in the States in his area. And that was the biggest production crop at the time. And because it had been used continuously, season after season, the soils were incredibly depleted. And as a result, he sort of searched and he did his studies and he worked out that actually peanuts and sweet potatoes would work best in that climate. So they started crop rotation in the, uh, in the 1800s. And as a result, they had a dramatic change in both the soil structure, but in people's uh, livelihoods and actually in America's production. So at the time of uh, his doing that, the peanut was not a recognized crop in the USA, but shortly before his death in 1943, peanuts were one of the six leading crops in the USA. A massive impact on the global commodity market because one man took the time to look just a little bit closer. Similarly, this candle, and kids, maybe you don't see these too often now because we have generators, but uh, in our growing up time, whew, did you see that? And Gateway goes up in smoke. So this candle that you can see over here, we may look at it and think nothing really of it. It's just a candle, right? Now obviously in this room of darkness, or almost darkness, we've got uh, some lights on, it actually holds quite a, seat, a key place. You can all see it from the back. It ha has a little bit of significance. It becomes a centerpiece of the room. Light from a candle, though, seemingly insignificant, can be seen a long way away when the situation is right. So there's a lot on Google. You always trust Google. Obviously, everything you type in, it always tells the truth. And so if you say, how far can you see a candle from, you get everything from 40 k's, 47 kilometers away, 13, a few hundred meters. Very recently, scientists actually put this to the test. How far away can the human eye actually see a candle in excellent conditions? So when it's very dark in excellent conditions, they measured this against the stars that with the naked eye we can see. So they measured that at the dimmest star that we can see. They worked out that on near perfect conditions, 2.7 kilometers is how far we can see it. So 2.7 k's away is how far we can see a candle like this if we take a close look. You would miss it. You'd miss the candle burning 2.7 k's away. But if you took the time to look a little bit closer, you would see it and you would notice it and it would have an effect on your life. 
Now, many years ago, there were three wise men, and they decided to take a closer look. We have a little bit of their story over here. And uh, it's written in the, one of the Gospels. Uh, that's the stories, biographies of uh, Matthew, people who walked with Jesus, 2 verse uh, 1 to 2. And this is what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and have come to worship him. And we've got a, a little symbol of the star looking quite different and quite stark. So they came. Now these wise men were religious scholars. They were known as Magi. They would have been revered and looked up to in Babylon as astronomers and astrologers. And this is recognized by those who are Christ followers and not alike. You can do the research on the Magi and the star that they saw uh, on BBC and all over. A huge amount has been researched into the exact star that they saw and what it looked like. So they studied the stars and planets. They used them to interpret uh, certain cosmic events and the meanings behind those. And we're not exactly sure what the star looked like, we're not exactly sure how it operated, whether it was when different planets lined up and how that worked. But what we do know is that the wise men, similar to Carver, similar to us looking out for a candle 2.7 k's away, they took a closer look. They could have gone, it's just a star, it looks a little bit different. But they stopped and they said, but actually is there something to this star? And as they studied, as they looked, as they looked on all of what they researched, the Old Testament books, the older books written in the Bible, they went, actually, this is what we've been waiting for. They knew it deep down. And so they decided to take the trip months and months. This wasn't jump in a plane or jump in a car. This was probably camel. Uh, they were very wealthy, but they would have traveled for months and months and months to get to Jerusalem because they knew that this was the king of Jews who they had been looking for. And so they would have seen that star, they would have followed it. They could have brushed it off as a star and just gone, it's just coincidence. It's just a brighter star, it's just a different star, it looks a bit different. But they took the time to take a closer look. They pushed aside doubt and they moved forward. And maybe for you today, maybe it's time for you to push aside doubt or to have the doubt and hold it, but say, I'm just gonna explore. I'm just gonna take a closer look. I've never thought about this before, but I'm gonna take a closer look. So they traveled to Jerusalem. And after speaking with Herod, at the time he was one of the leaders there, they then chatted to him. And Herod, who wasn't a Christ follower, chatted to the religious leaders. And he said, hey, uh, tell me what your scriptures say about this king of the Jews. And they said, oh, well, very clearly our scriptures say that he's going to be born in this area in Bethlehem. And uh, you can look back on that prophecy if you want to. And so he's, he then said to the wise men, no, 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 you guys need to go and look in Bethlehem. That's the exact spot. And uh, actually, when you find out this king, please tell me where this guy is because I just want to worship him. Meanwhile, here it was super game to kill the thing. So uh, they obviously didn't tell him that. They knew the story. But uh, off they went and they found who they knew to be the king of the Jews. But he came rejected by many because he didn't come as the king that others would expect in pomp and power. He came in humility. He was born in a stable surrounds as much as we know with cow packs and hay around other animals. It wasn't lavish. It wasn't luxury. It was the most humble beginnings that you can have. That's just what God would choose to do because of his humility. So they looked a little bit closer. They gave incredible gifts and they worshiped this baby born in a stable. You see, the wise men believed that without a shadow of a doubt that he was who the prophet Isaiah had spoken about. And that's what Isaiah said. 
This was hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And that light, Isaiah is talking about, is Jesus. And the prophetic words in the Bible are astounding. I really want you to, if you've never studied them before, study them. There's no other religious faith that will have any of the predictions that have come true as the Christian faith. From how Jesus would die, from where he would be born, from how he would be born with great clarity. And it's come to pass. So they knew this to be true, that he was indeed the great light. You see, the wise men realized that this light in the sky guided them to the ultimate light. Guided them to the ultimate light, the one true light. And uh, I think, ah, perfect. Got another light heading up from behind the stable. Thank you so much, Jane, for that. Because what these wise men knew is just as much as the star was a physical light directing them to where they're supposed to be the king, what they realized is that actually he was a little bit different because himself, Jesus, was supposed to be the light. The light that transforms lives, destinies, hopes, and dreams. He was the great light. He is the great light. And this birth was important. It was vitally important because it was a light to show people in darkness the truth, the way to have true life. You see, Jesus was born in a lowly stable. He grew up uh, the son of a carpenter. He would have worked the trade with his father. He was born like this, and uh, he would have worked the trade. He then went on to be an itinerant preacher for three years, from when he was 30. Up until 30, we know almost nothing about his life, um, except a few temple visits, and that he probably was a carpenter in his dad's business. But at 30, he started to speak. And in three years, he was crucified. No one could find his body. Um, uh, he rose again. And as a result, that one man has shaped history, so much so that the dating system that we use, BC and AD, is based on him which makes no sense at all because those at the time responsible for putting in place that dating system were the ones who wanted to see him stay there. makes no sense at all, but because he had such significant effect on history, our whole world's dating system is based on this one man. And after his death and resurrection, there was an explosion of Christ followers happy to die for this Jesus, happy to give their lives for the one that they had seen and they had seen die and rise again. And they gave their lives and people continue to give their lives for his name to this day. It was an explosion of Christ followers and the number continues to grow as people turn to him. And there's a few other scriptures in the Bible that talk about this, about him being the light for us. John 1 verse 4 to 5, in him was life and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. Yet the darkness did not overcome it. It's talking about the fact that Jesus brings a spiritual light. Not just physical, but he brings a spiritual light that we desperately need. And this is what he said of himself. John 8 verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amazing words, words spoken by him himself. The reality is, is that when his light shines in the darkness... When people turn to the light and walk away from the darkness, they experience the light of life. It's electric, it's noticeable, it's attractive. When Jesus genuinely changed someone's heart, you can see it in there. You can see perspective, you can see hope, you can see purpose. It's fulfilling, and the result is a sea of light. And maybe just while I'm talking, uh, if we can turn on the lights of the stable and these other ones here, just the flashing lights, uh, to just give a sense of the light that happens as we spread out. 
which is pretty impressive. And you can do the top ones as well. Thanks so much, Kev. And uh, why I wanted to do these other lights is the, is the fact that now the kids are more excited. Now they're like, yes, you've given us something to, to be excited about. The reality is, is that somehow, in a really strange way, this one true light changes us from the inside out. And we, in a sense, carry his light, just a little taste of his light, into the world. And so when people see us, they should see Christ. Not perfect, by no means not perfect light. I've got faults just as much as anyone else, and I'll continue to have those my whole life. That's not what demarcates us as Christ followers. It's the fact that we rely on someone, Jesus. And so, not perfect, sometimes dim, sometimes brighter, but seeing transformation, change, and progress. And there's countless stories of just people I know one-on-one where I've seen their life genuinely changed and transformed by coming to Christ. People who have left lives of horrific things happening, and they are changed. And you look at the person that they are now and what they were, and you go, could that be coincidence? Is it possible? Could it have just happened? And I know it can't, because I know that they've had an internal change. Leaving lives of addiction, restored relationships, living lives of hope instead of despair. And maybe today, if you realize your need of Him, maybe life doesn't seem to have the purpose that you thought it did. Maybe you're sort of trying to find your way and you're going, but yes, I'm making a go of life and maybe there's some income I'm making. And yes, there's short-term joy, but I just feel there's more. I feel there has to be more. There has to be greater significance. I want to challenge you to just look a little bit closer. Like if you're looking for a candle on a dark on a dark night, like Washington Carver, who saw the peanut differently, like those wise men who looked at that star differently, my challenge to you today, I just want to challenge you to look a little bit closer. And I can guarantee you that if you do, if you take the time to look a bit closer, to explore with an open mind, you will find a life of purpose, a life of joy that you can't explain. Not an easy life free from problems. Jesus never ever promised that. That we'll hear in the coming weeks something different, but a life filled with the true light. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for every single person who took time out of their day, time out of their night, to just come along. Thank you for friends that invited. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that what you invite us to do now, in this season, but for all time, is just to take a closer look, to just explore. That's what you ask us to do. For those of us who would say that we know you, for us to really get to know you better, to take you seriously, to make you number one priority. Maybe for those of us here who are not really sure where we stand, we we believe there is a God, and we believe he's somewhere out there, there is a God. Maybe the challenge for us is to go a bit deeper and say, "But, but who really is Jesus? Who really is the King of the Jews? Maybe for you here and you've come and you would say, well, I just, I don't really believe in anything. I believe I am here, but... I don't really believe in in my child, so I'm just sort of ticking away, and when I die, I'll I'll just be the dust, and that's it. There's nothing else. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help people in that position to just just explore a bit more. Maybe pick up a Bible, dive in, ask a mate, and just say, hey, tell me more. Tell me about this faith of yours, and to explore with open eyes. Lord Jesus, I know the truth that you say is that when we seek you with all our hearts, we find you. I know that's the reality. And so wherever we are in this room, I ask that it will be so true of us in this season. Your amazing name we pray. Amen. Amen.